Brothers and sisters, if you have a copy of God's Word with you, I would invite you to open up in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 11. I want to read in your hearing the first nine verses of that chapter. Isaiah chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. We read, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Our Father, we pray now for the preaching of your word and ask that your spirit would cause it to work grace in our hearts this evening. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. It's not uncommon, of course, for you and I to be on the receiving end of all sorts of empty promises. Are we not subjected to the same cruel joke every four years? When presidential candidates stand up and make grandiose promises, only to have those same promises never come to fruition. As just one example, you might think of Herbert Hoover. He pledged in 1928 to end poverty in America, famously promising to put a chicken in every pot and a car in every garage. Well, within one year, we experienced the worst economic depression in the history of our country. You see this, and examples could be multiplied, of course. This can all make us a bit skeptical and even cynical when it comes to promises, especially from those who want our vote. But none of this means that we ought to be sour on all leaders and on all their promises. I say that, church, because what we anticipate this evening and what we will celebrate tomorrow morning is the very birth, not just of a leader or even a president, but the very birth of a king, of the king. As you can see, our passage this evening is pregnant with hope and promise, and it begins with the promise of a king. 
I don't have time to flesh out for you all of the immediate context, but suffice it to say, the passage I just read in your hearing is a chunk of gold buried under a mountain of dirt and rock. That's because the context of Isaiah is one of utter judgment. Because of sin, darkness has descended upon the land. Discouragement has gripped the hearts of the people. And death stalks them like a shadow. Let's be clear. All of these curses come in the wake of sin. Of their sin and of our sin. But here's the good news. Isaiah looked forward to a king. Not just any king, but the king. He who would right every wrong. You see, through this king and his kingdom, the darkness will be overwhelmed by the light. Love will triumph over discouragement. And life will conquer death itself. The promise of this great king is found in verse 1. The scene before us is of that of a felled tree. As the, text, as the text says, a stump of Jesse. Well, this stump refers to David's house. Remember, Jesse is the father of the great King David. But what is being described here is this mighty oak tree of David's dynasty. But according to Isaiah, this mighty tree has been cut down. That's because at this point in redemptive history, David is long gone. And the promises that God made to David and of his everlasting kingdom, they seem to be languishing as the surrounding pagan nations oppress the people of God. The question then that is lurking right below the surface is something like this. Well, does this mean that the promises of God have failed? Is it, is it really possible? Have the people of God finally outsinned the grace of God? And the prophet's answer is an emphatic no. What the prophet is saying is, is even though all that remains is this tiny little stump, everything has been cut down. From this one tiny stump, a shoot will come forth. One that will grow mighty and bear fruit. To follow on with the metaphor, the fruit of this branch will be a whole new world. One that is redeemed from the curse of sin. To which you and I are tempted to shake our heads. We've all heard the stump speeches before. We all know when something sounds too good to be true. What makes this figure any different? What makes this king different than all that have come before and quite honestly, all that have come after? Well, Isaiah is glad you asked. Because unlike all who came before him and unlike all who would come after him, this great king will not be left to himself. Truth be told, he will be empowered with the fullness of the Holy Spirit, which will enable him to accomplish all of his tasks. That's what verse 2 announces. 
we are told that the Spirit of the Lord, or the Spirit of Yahweh, shall rest upon him. And so, as this Spirit-filled king, how will he wield his power? Or we can ask it this way, what will be the result of this anointing? And our passage here gives us three pairs to consider. The first pair, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, refers to judicial and governing attributes. We might say that this king has more wisdom than even the great King Solomon. The second pair that you see in the text, the spirit of counsel and might, speaks to his ability to devise a right course of action coupled with the personal prowess to see it through. In other words, no empty promises here. No vain words. What this king says, he does. He will keep his word. The final pair that you see speaks of the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. This lets us know that this king is totally and utterly committed to God's word and to God's ways. No half measures. This king will be single-minded in his devotion to the law of God and to the gospel of God. And so, how does Scripture portray this Spirit-filled King's kingdom? When the rubber meets the road, what will this kingdom look like? Well, take note. Isaiah speaks of the King's rule, the King's reign, and the King's reach. When it comes to His rule, we are told that this kingdom will be marked by utter conformity to God's law. Several key words bring this out. This king will, with righteousness, verse 4, judge the poor. Still in verse 4, we are told that he will decide with equity for the meek of the earth. We are also told that through this king's rule, the wicked will be destroyed. Or to use the language of verse 4, we are told with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. And then, in verse 5, employing clothing as a metaphor, we are told that righteousness and faithfulness will be his belt. Again, the point not to be missed here is this. The rule of this kingdom will be complete and utter conformity unto God's law. That is to say, neither human innovation nor evangelical pragmatism will rule the day. God's law will be the standard. What about his reign, you ask? Well, the picture put before us this evening, church, is quite staggering indeed. You see it hinted at there in verse 6. We are told that the wolf and the lamb will dwell together, as well as the leopard with the goat and even the lion with the calf. If that's not enough, verse 7 pushes the envelope. We are told that the bear and the cow will graze together, while the lion, think about this, nature's most ferocious predator. What is the lion seen doing? But eating straw with the ox. 
And in all of this, the prophet sees this little child shepherding them. At the end of verse 6, the little one leads these terrifying creatures as if they are his pets. And then in verse 8, we see the picture of a toddler playing over the hole of a snake. And the toddler is doing so not because of parental negligence, but because it is utterly safe to do so. So I ask again, what sort of kingdom is this? How is it depicted for us? Well, it is a kingdom of almost indescribable tranquility, is it not? In a word, peace. It's peace. That's really what Isaiah is getting at, right? You see, predator and prey are now pals. The effects of sin have been undone. Death itself seems to have died, and the very curse which has sent all of our world into chaos, that curse has been reversed. That is the nature of of this kingdom. It is one of utter shalom, of peace. Which brings us to the reach of this kingdom. Will this paradise that Isaiah describes, will it be limited to some cul-de-sac, some remote zip code off of the grid somewhere? No. In fact, this kingdom, we are told, will grow and expand and it will come to spread over the entire face of the globe. The end of verse 9 says as much. We read there, For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I would challenge you, next time you are over on the coast, look west. Stare out at the mighty Pacific Ocean and tell me what you see. The horizon, as far as the eye can see, will be, you will be captivated by what? Well, by, by blue. What does the prophet say? Well, just as the waters cover the sea, so also will the earth be full of the knowledge of God and His kingdom. The point, beloved, is this. Just as you look out onto the Pacific and it appears to never end, so the prophet is saying this kingdom will know no bounds. It will not be sequestered off to some piece of real estate in the Middle East, and neither will it be confined to the four walls of the country church. Rather, as Isaac Watts taught us to sing, no more let sins and sorrows grow nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make His blessings flow. Where? Far as the curse is found. That's the reach of this kingdom. It will reach deep into the cosmos just as far as sin itself has reached. Which is to say, everywhere. Well, redeeming grace, as we reflect even briefly upon these glorious promises this Christmas Eve, make no mistake about it, 
What Isaiah prophesied here finds its fulfillment in the very birth of Jesus Christ. What is our confession except that Christ is King? And just as King Jesus was born into our world on Christmas morning, so also His kingdom has come to invade our world, our rebellious and fallen world. Think back to verse 1 for a second and the picture of a felled tree. Who is this son of Jesse, this greater son of David? Is it not the Lord Jesus Christ, the son of a carpenter whose mother was a virgin, like a tiny shoot bursting forth from the stump. So the Lord Jesus was born in utter obscurity some 2,000 years ago. But Christ the King has come nonetheless. And mark my words, He is the only one who can save us from our sins. Or consider verse 2 in its announcement that the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Well, I ask you, do you remember what occurred at Christ's baptism there in the Jordan? What happens? Well, the Spirit of God descends upon him and anoints him for his work, which is the fulfillment, beloved, of this very passage. In fact, you should know we throw around the name Christ quite a bit. It's, it's actually not a name, is it? Christ is not Jesus' last name, but Christ is a title, which means what? The Anointed One. Beloved, Jesus Christ is the Anointed King, the one whom Isaiah looked forward to. And we should add that as the King... The Lord Jesus is the embodiment, quite literally, of both the law of God and the gospel of God. Even now, Christ's gospel is preached. And as the word of Christ goes forward, His enemies are made His loyal subjects. And when the kingdom is finally consummated at Christ's second advent, know this. All those who spurn His grace will on that day be fully and finally put down. That is to say, the rule of King Jesus that is described for us here in verses 3, 4, and 5, it is being meted out even now as you inhale and exhale and hear the Word of God preached. Then think of Christ's kingdom. This kingdom that he established at his first advent, was it not marked, beloved, by peace? Consider this. In and through Christ, God has, as it were, waved the white flag to rebels like you and me. He has offered us pardon through the very blood of his own Son. And as we repent of our sins and entrust ourselves to this King, are we not cleansed and made new and given peace with God? This really is the hope of the Gospel, isn't it? 
It is not through your works or through my works, but solely on account of the Lord Jesus Christ, God has reconciled us to himself. And I should add that this kingdom that began as a mustard seed on the shores of Galilee some 2,000 years ago, it has only grown and expanded, hasn't it? If you doubt me, I would just ask you to consider this. The kingdom began with King Jesus and 11, 12 of his followers. The point is, you could fit all of them in a closet. Well, today, the kingdom of God is found on every continent, being embraced by nearly all tribes and languages and peoples and nations. Have we, have we seen the consummation of this kingdom? No, and, and we don't want to get too far out in front of ourselves. There is still future fulfillment to some of the promises that are before us this morning. But make no mistake about it, the acorn, beloved, has become a mighty oak tree. And it will continue to grow and expand until it covers the entirety of the earth. Redeeming grace, that is what we anticipate and that is what we celebrate even now on the eve of Christmas. Rejoice. Rejoice in the fact that Christ has come. Rejoice that King Jesus has been enthroned and that He has ushered in a kingdom of light and of love and of life and that He has invited us us unworthy rebels to receive from his hand and to be a part of his kingdom. Praise God. Christ is king. And the king is ruling and he is reigning even now. Father in heaven, we pray that your word would be a great encouragement to our hearts. We pray that that would be true this evening and that it would be true even tomorrow as we awake on Christmas morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.